Hi, everyone. Dr. B here again for another episode of Ask the Dentist. Thank you so much for joining me and for listening. Today, you're going to hear me nerd out on particle size of nanohydroxyapatite. Sounds a little boring. It's not. It's a new substance, at least in the U.S., that you will be finding in and you will want in your toothpaste if you are not already using it because it is incredibly, I will use a very scientific term here, awesome, and it works. So we're going to talk about some studies that I will include in the show notes. The two questions are asked by the listener, and they are very good questions. And we should all know what's in our toothpaste, first of all. It should be safe. It should be biomimetic. That's a term that he uses in his question, and it's a very important term to dissect and understand. So I will leave it to him to introduce the topic, and after that, we will nerd out together. What's the natural size and shape of hydroxyapatite in our saliva? Would having the most biomimetic size and shape in toothpaste make it more effective? Okay, great questions. We have to first talk about what is biomimetic, and I'm going to give you a little background on hydroxyapatite. So, mimicking nature, that's what biomimetic means. It's something that I live by in my practice. I admire, I have a lot of respect for the human body and the billions of years it took to refine what it does, especially in how it repairs itself. And that's why if I were a biomaterial engineer, I would you know, if I was asked to design something, I would look for a bio-inspired kind of substance in the body and mimic that. And this represents a very promising and safe way of fixing things in the body, especially because it's what the body does. So, if we mimic what the body does, then we're probably on the right track. And this applies to reversing cavities. The efficacy is of this material, of such a material that is biomimetic, is achieved essentially through a highly evolved selection process. There's nothing better than that. I mean, nothing that we can do in labs has the scrutiny and the process of refinement that billions of years of evolution does. And and what we're talking about here is the size and the shape of this hydroxy appetite. So, nature should be a model for material scientists. That's kind of what I'm saying, I guess. And in view of the fact that living organisms can like humans, can the human body can produce so many different and amazing, effective building blocks in-house. In other words, it's not necessarily getting it from the diet. The body can construct it so it can use it because it's essential. So, whether it's a building block or material, it's amazing that the body can repair itself with these products and materials. And one of these materials, this biomimetic material, is calcium phosphate, hydroxyapatite. It is one of the building blocks of the body. Without it, we would be blobs. So, calcium phosphates are the probably the most important inorganic constituent of heart tissues in vertebrates, in mammals, because we have a skeleton, we have bone, and we have teeth. So, I'm going to diverge here from bone to tooth. There are a lot of correlations and similarities, but I'm not going to get into that because my sentences will get too long and I will get distracted. So, we're going to stick with teeth, but realize that hydroxyapatite is also the main building block of bones as well. And a lot of the bone cells are very similar to a lot of the enamel and dentin cells, and they basically have the same function. So, let's stick with tooth enamel. Tooth enamel is the most mineralized tissue 
in the human body. It's also the hardest. Its composition is, I think it's 97%. I think it's actually lower than 96% inorganic material. The rest of it is just water. And dentin, which is the underlying material underneath the enamel hard coating or crown, that is basically 70% by weight of the inorganic hardness of the hydroxyapatite, the rest again being water. This organic material, the structure, is mainly composed of calcium phosphate. So, that's the material. The shape of it is this very recognizable hexagonal hydroxyapatite. That's where we get the term. It's not just calcium alone. It's a combination of calcium ions that create this little, it's like a mesh. It's like a three-dimensional little sack with strength to it, and it fills space. And it's the framework of our skeletal system. And well, there I go again with bones. I'm going to stick to teeth. It's the framework of our enamel and dentin, basically our teeth minus the pulp, the pulp tissue. Yeah, there are all these ways of analyzing tooth structure. I love the EDS. That's the, um, it's a x-ray kind of spectroscopy view of enamel and dentin. And you're going to see other elements in there. It's not just calcium. You're going to see trace elements like sodium and magnesium and, and chloride and things like that. So, that's where those essential nutrients, essentially minerals, are also important. They're important for the cellular processes in the body, metabolism, but they're also important for the hardness, the inorganic structures of the tooth. So, that's important to get that in diet. But we're going to focus here on hydroxyapatite, it being biomimetic, what size is best and what works best when we put it into toothpaste. I want to answer your question very specifically. All right, let me just back up a little bit. Let's first talk about the size of particles that we're going to be discussing in this episode. There are going to be two categories. I'm going to try and simplify this because there's a lot of variation, even though once you understand the categories that we're talking about, there's going to be a lot of variation in each of those categories. So there is a micro-sized hydroxyapatite that's available and that's being applied to toothpaste, being put into toothpaste, and then there is a nano version or nano sized hydroxyapatite that is being put into toothpaste. And the difference you may think is not that important, but in actual use and efficacy, there is going to be a big difference. And then there's some concern for safety. A lot of listeners will understand and have heard that nano-sized particles can be too small. For example, titanium dioxide particles in certain creams or makeup or certainly uh, sunblocks since that is a material that doesn't absorb, actually does not get absorbed by the body, those particles can create problems later on because they are so small. That's not a concern here because calcium absorbs or dissolves. It breaks down in the presence of cellular fluid, extracellular and intracellular fluid. I'm not going to discuss that in this episode about the safety concerns of any kind of calcium, but overall, I am convinced that any form of hydroxyapatite is fine. In fact, it could be argued that the nano size can be good for you in many ways beyond just remineralizing teeth. But again, I'm going to hold back on that. So, here's the size difference and it's dramatic. Let's use an example. So, a typical nano-sized particle of hydroxyapatite in toothpaste currently in the market is 20 nanometers. Let's just call it, yeah, 20 nanometers. That equivalent in the micro-sized or microns would be 0.02 microns. In other words, the 20 nanometer size is thousands of times 
smaller than the micro-sized hydroxyapatite. So it's a huge difference in size, and that's important to know. So when it comes to surface area and absorption and availability, bioavailability, in other words, the body, if it sees nano as opposed to micro, there are differences in terms of what gets taken up, what gets absorbed, and where these little particles can get and what they can actually do to a demineralized tooth surface. So that's the difference in size. So micro and nano. When I say micro, that's actually the larger particle size. And when I say nano, it is incredibly small, almost on a molecular level. So as you may expect, calcium phosphate-based biomaterials have been around for a while. And currently are being used in many different applications throughout the body, pretty much covering all aspects of the skeleton. These applications include dental implants. A lot of titanium implants are coated with these layers of hydroxyapatite. Any percutaneous device and any of that that's used in periodontal treatment, certainly, as well as medical treatment, treatment of bone defects, any bone fractures, filling in bone defects, in gum disease, total joint replacement, or basically orthopedics, craniomaxillofacial surgery, that would be oral surgery, and, you know, spinal surgery. There's processes there where they use calcium products to help remineralize degenerative bone diseases. Interestingly enough, in dentistry, it was a Japanese company. I think it was called the Sangi Company, and they were the first to take interest in hydroxyapatite for toothpaste. They purchased the rights from NASA. I think it was in the 70s. Again, another reason to have a space program. And they were worried, NASA was worried because astronauts, in fact, they were losing minerals from their teeth and bones in the absence of gravity. In zero gravity, they were demineralizing. Again, not being weight-bearing in zero gravity, that was an issue. So, they proposed a synthetic version of hydroxyapatite as a repair material. I'm not sure where it went, where they went with it, but this corporation, this Japanese corporation, used it and they launched a toothpaste. I think it was late 70s. Again, it's been around that long, and this toothpaste could repair tooth enamel upon contact. And this was the first use for nanohydroxyapatite, so a very, very small version of this hydroxyapatite. I think the active ingredient that they, they called it apodent, I think that that's their trademark name for it. But in 2006, the first toothpaste with synthetic hydroxyapatite, biomimetic, as an alternative to fluoride for remineralization and for the repair of tooth enamel that appeared in Europe. And then just recently in America, I think it's been about three years now, again, the biomimetic hydroxyapatite, that the function of it is to protect teeth with the creation of a new repaired or a new layer of synthetic enamel around the tooth. And it does this unlike fluoride, which hardens the existing layer. So, there is a slight difference. In fact, if you look at repaired tooth structure with hydroxyapatite compared to repaired tooth structure with fluoride, the hydroxyapatite repaired surface is much smoother. It's almost like a mirror-like finish. It has a higher reflectivity rate and it is much smoother. The fluoride repaired surface has a knurling to it, we call it. It's like a fluctuation. It's a groove-like texture to it. So, it, there are differences between the two. So, nanohydroxyapatite crystals, they range in size between 20 and 1,000 
nanometers, the nanohydroxyapatite really has a strong ability, as opposed to micro, okay, I'm probably not being clear there. The smaller version, the nano-sized hydroxyapatite has a very strong ability to bind with uh, proteins, which are important because those are in your saliva, and that's what gets it to the tooth surface. You have to have that interaction before you get the building blocks at the doorstep, literally, of the decalcified or demineralized damaged portion of the enamel. And yeah, I mean, this is how fluoride works, essentially, which is what we've been using since the 1920s, and not very well. I mean, there have been a lot of problems with fluoride, too much fluoride, topically, but also ingesting it can lead to too many cavities and damage to the enamel. But the ability of this nanoparticle-sized hydroxyapatite, it works because it has a considerably larger surface area to which these proteins can bind to. And that's the key. Smaller size, but more binding sites, more availability to the intermediaries that help this remineralization process. I hope I'm not making this too complicated. But if you have bigger particles, then there's fewer of these intermediary components that are going to be pulled in to help transport them and get them over to the teeth. It's really a transportation issue, if that's how you want to look at it. And it's also, because of that, it's really dosage. The dosage is much higher given the nano-sized particle size. Nanohydroxyapatite also acts as a filler because it repairs small holes and depressions in the enamel surface. And this is also a function that's enhanced by the small size of the particles as opposed to micro, micro being the bigger size particles. So I've included just two studies, two of my favorites. One's an Italian study. It's called the Biomimetic Approach to Design appetites for nanobiotechnological applications. There'll be a little bit lost in the translation, but I really like that because it has this kind of universal overlook on nano-sized hydroxyapatite. And there is a section there on teeth, although it does, a lot of it refers to the medical side of things. The other article is a kind of an overview. It's a review of the literature. It's a NCBI study. It's on their site. That's nanohydroxyapatite and its applications in preventative, restorative, and regenerative dentistry, a review of the literature. That's a great go-to study to read. So I've included both of those. They are difficult to read, but I put them in there just to let you know that there is a lot of data on this, and it's easy to find studies on hydroxyapatite, whether it's nano or micro. So you're going to see a lot of that if you Google it. But these two are two of my favorites, and they're pretty recent as well. So the in vitro data, that's test tube it's not in vivo. In vivo is in the body. Very hard to do when it comes to testing uh, remineralization. It's mostly done in the test tube, petri dish, whatever you want to call it, outside of the body. So in vitro data indicates that repair at the enamel surface, it can be greatly improved if the dimension or the size of the appetite particle is sub-micrometer. In other words, it's nano-sized. And that's what the second study I mentioned, the review of a lot of studies indicates. And, you know, I know there's some toothpaste manufacturers out there that will sell the hydroxyapatite only in micro-sized. And I don't know why that is. I'm not going to say that it's a bad toothpaste. I'm not sure why they do it. I've heard some say that it's due to safety. Again, I mentioned earlier, I don't see that there's any problem with the nano-sized 
hydroxyapatite. In fact, micro-sized products do dissolve and do get inside the cell, just like the nano-sized particles do. So I don't there, and there are a lot of studies on the safety. In fact, I'll include one study on that as well. But there are several. So the research indicates that nano is better. So in this case, smaller is better. The nano-sized defects caused by erosion, which is acidic drinks, an acidic pH in the mouth, perhaps due to mouth breathing or low saliva concentration in the mouth. This is erosive demineralization. In other words, the teeth are demineralizing because of low pH. A hydroxyapatite particle size of 20, that was the example I used earlier, that fits well with the dimensions of these little nano defects that are caused or seen at the enamel surface during acidic erosion. So, Again, to simplify, you're drinking grapefruit juice and the defects that are caused from that pH, that lowered pH, that acidity, the acid attack, that's a what we call a small defect. The studies will refer to it as a nano defect and you can remineralize that with nano-sized hydroxyapatite. Think of this. The damage is nano-sized, so why would you want to get a micro-sized particle in there when it won't fit? It's the nano-sized particle that will fit and repair. So it's really about the size of the puzzle pieces. I hope that analogy helps. And that also goes for regular cavities. Decay that's being caused by bacteria that are burrowing away and breaking through the enamel, these cone-shaped lesions. And again, those are very small at first. So I would rather have a very small particle size to get in there sooner and earlier. Again, I'm simplifying, but it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, if you look at it in that kind of macro perspective, these particles, the nano-sized particles, they absorb strongly to the etched enamel surface in vitro, again, in a test tube. And they also, interestingly enough, they resist further erosive demineralization. In other words, once it's there, it helps protect the tooth from further attacks, acid attacks or bacteria trying to get in there and cause decay. So, therefore, I mean, the use of a properly sized nano-apatite particle, it simultaneously repairs and prevents initial lesions. I mean, first-time lesions in enamel, i.e. cavities. So, it's really clear. Nano-hydroxyapatite is truly revolutionary. Again, NASA. We have NASA to thank. It's a revolutionary material or substance, and it has, of course, wide use in the medical field, but also certainly in dentistry. With regard to restorative and the preventative areas of dentistry, nanohydroxyapatite is absolutely remarkable. It remineralizes the small initial lesions, in other words, the beginning of a cavity oral hole in a tooth, the weak spot, the point of penetration where the beginning of the end of the tooth, the origin of that. But thankfully, if the oral microbiome is doing its job, these areas can be reversed, especially with the presence of a highly bioavailable material called hydroxyapatite. So, nanohydroxyapatite, it's a better source. Again, I said nanohydroxyapatite, not micro, but the smaller version of this hydroxyapatite is a better source of free calcium in the mouth and therefore is a key element regarding the remineralization or the repair and protection of the tooth against cavities and, as I said before, dental erosion. Those are the acidic drinks that wear down our teeth. So, pretty straightforward, I would think. All right, I'm going to try and summarize this for you. I'm, I'm sorry, I probably nerded out a little too much. It's all fascinating stuff, and it's all very, very new to the American market, and it's important 
that dentists understand this so that we can recommend the right products, which I'm going to do in a few minutes. But anyway, so the biomimetic nature of hydroxyapatite, whether it's nano or micro, I think I'm pretty clear on that, that it's all good. Again, maybe some concern with the smaller, more processing of the nano size to get it to that particle size. I'm not concerned about that. Again, we can discuss that in another episode, but it's clear that the nano is better than the micro. Anyway, in general, more work has to be done, but when designing something that's biomimetic, and when it comes to hydroxyapatite, which is not a complicated molecule by any means, and it's readily available, it's present just about everywhere in our carbon-based world, that any kind of work involving that, it should be carried out at different levels. We should mimic the composition, the structure, the morphology, but also the surface reactivity, the how it is bioavailable. And, and I think we're there right now. It's not just creating this exact same molecule that nature has. And I think there is some not to be too arrogant as a human and as a healthcare provider, but I think there is some room for making it better. Nature does a great job, but we can refine it in some cases. So chewing on spinach may not be as good as brushing with a nano-based hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste because the uptake, the surface reactivity is much greater. So, But then again, <laughs> we're not chewing spinach. We're eating a lot of junk food and we need a real boost here in bioavailable calcium because we are getting more cavities than ever before because of our lousy, modern, advanced diet, right? I mean, again, Back, our ancestors, all they had to do was chew on a little on foods that were high in calcium, right? I mean, that's kind of the irony of it. So anyway, nanohydroxyapatite is a better resource of free calcium for it to get into the saliva that gets to the teeth. And this is an important defense for cavities and for breakdown of the tooth due to acid erosion. This is where a lot of us get very sensitive teeth like I do. And again, I mentioned earlier, the only toothpaste currently that keeps my sensitive teeth from being sensitive, and if I stop using it and it comes back, returns it back to its comfortable self in a day or two, is a nano-based hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste. I'll let you know which one that is. There are not many out there right now. but And the micro doesn't do it for me. It doesn't mean that micro may not be good for you. And it may, if you're concerned about safety, maybe that's the one you want to use for your kids. Again, I don't see a problem with the nano size. And there is absorption of micro-sized hydroxyapatite into the cellular fluid, just like nano. So there's not much difference there. And it all gets destroyed in the stomach as well if it's swallowed. If it's absorbed through the oral mucosa, as you've heard me say, anything you put in the mouth can be absorbed. It's not a concern. But anyway, micro is out there. I will tell you one thing though. Micro is cheaper when you purchase it to make toothpaste. So maybe that's the reason it's being used in some cases. I prefer the nano. It's going to be more expensive because it requires more processing and perhaps that toothpaste will be more expensive than the micro version. So take-home message here, despite pH, and again, that's that other surface reactivity, kind of the conditions that are best for remineralization factor, which I didn't get into, but the studies that I listed included with this episode, 
they discuss pH. The optimal pH is going to be around 4. Some studies say it's higher. So there are other factors, of course. But despite pH, since the aspect ratio or the surface area of a hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste, these products are more reactive than the microtechnology. In other words, they are more effective and they get more calcium to that lesion that is forming, that little hole that's forming on your tooth, which we call a cavity. So I don't think you need any more information than that. So take-home message is nano is better, so smaller is better than bigger sized particles of this hydroxy appetite, which is the major component that is already in your teeth. So it's biomimetic. The only issue here, I guess the only issue here is, and his two questions really illustrated that very nicely. The real issue is not, is it safe, but what size should be in our toothpaste. And again, I think it should be nano, even for children. So the toothpaste I use is Boca. I have no affiliation with them at all. I've spoken to the owner several times. His name is James. He has no dental background at all, and he makes a great toothpaste. It tastes great. I wish it didn't have emulsifiers and surfactants in it, but that's a necessary evil of toothpaste, of making large batches of toothpaste. But he does have the micro-sized in there. There are other brands. Some of them are not available in the U.S. There are some. Carex in Germany has a nano-sized version. Uh, A lot of readers and listeners from England ask me, you know, where do I get this toothpaste? And I tell them to go to Germany. It's all in the EU. They can get it from the Carex Corporation, K-A-R-E-X. So anyway, Boca is my go-to and it works and it desensitizes my teeth. And I haven't had a cavity in a long time. Again, I've only been using Boca for two years. And a lot of that is diet and eating the proper foods and keeping my mouth moist, mouth taping. You've heard me say all this many, many times on this podcast and on our website. So it's not all about the toothpaste, but optimally speaking, nano-sized particle size for the hydroxyapatite is the toothpaste, is the kind of toothpaste you should be looking for. So anyway, I hope that answers the question. I hope I didn't tick anyone off or confuse anyone, but I'm just being honest. That's what I'm using. It works for me. And I've looked at the science. I've talked to researchers. I've talked to manufacturers. I've talked to the people that make the nano hydroxyapatite particles in Europe. It's an EU-sanctioned product. They have much stricter rules than we do, and it's great stuff. So glad it's here. Thank you to that Japanese corporation for developing a toothpaste back in the 70s. Thank you to NASA. This stuff is what we need, and it's better and safer than fluoride, even if you ingest it. So I'm going to end with that. Better and safer than fluoride works great. And it's available right now in the U.S. market. I will include a link for Boca in in case those of you that don't know how to get it. It's direct to consumer. So again, thank you for joining me on this kind of long rambling episode of Ask the Dentist. And I hope I was able to answer his question on particle size and the biomimetic nature of hydroxyapatite. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening. I will see you in the next episode of Ask the Dentist. I'm so glad you were able to join me for this episode on size matters when it comes to what's in your toothpaste. If you have any questions, please go to speakpipe.com slash ask the dentist. Anything, ask anything. I will try and answer it for you on this podcast. If you have any further questions about hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste, go to askthedentist.com. We've written quite a few articles and blog posts on this as the story developed in the last few years. So you can 
kind of go through the whole journey of my first experience with hydroxyapatite and what I think of it now. It's a great product. We're so lucky to have it. And most of the functional dentists that are on our directory are recommending a hydroxyapatite-based toothpaste. Micro or nano, you know how I feel about that now, but both work very, very well. Uh, I forgot to mention that nano is slightly better, again, probably because of the bioavailability, but in the studies, the nano size seems to work better for sensitive teeth, but the micro and nano both work as well for remineralizing decay, reversing cavities, and preventing decay. So that's also an important fact to remember. And that directory of dentists, if in case you want to see someone that is knowledgeable when it comes to these new and modern and safe toothpaste, go to that directory. It's on our website, askthedentist.com slash, sorry, slash directory. I'm losing my voice. This is the fourth podcast today that I have recorded, and I'm going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining me again. I love doing this and I love it that you are listening and taking all this advice to heart and using products and doing things that I'm recommending. And I love the feedback, especially when it works for you, which mostly it is. Again, there are a lot of variabilities in oral hygiene care and in dentistry. And that's why I'm here for, to give you the full picture and all the little nuances of oral health in general. So again, thanks for joining me. Take care. Love you all. Bye. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search our Find a Dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.